Hey, it's Tacky Talk time. We haven't chatted with State Representative Tacky Chan for a little while. How are you, Tacky? Hey, uh, good to see you, Joe. It's been about uh, almost two weeks, I think, since we last got together in the dog days of August and, uh, you know, survived yet another birthday somehow. <laughs> ah, happy belated. <laughs> another uh, another milestone? Uh, regretfully, yes, I've hit a milestone. <laughs> Was there, you know, a big party and streamers and fireworks? <laughs> no, no, I like I like my low key life, and uh, I move past big parties these days. Although my brother's been charged by my mother uh, to my yeah yeah my mom's assigned my brother to put together some kind of get together. It's not going to be a big one, but uh, yeah, I, I've uh, the nature of this lifestyle. You're always out there seeing people, and um, you know, and even though you know COVID's changed how we do big events. Um, it doesn't get exhausting after a while and, you know, some time away and, you know, small groups works well for me in terms of socializing. I like to be in relatively small numbers. I don't like to be in a room of 50 if I can avoid it. Um, so, but I mean, you do have friends and there's a lot of them and uh, they all want you know, well wishes and, uh, you know, which is great. But, you know, I, I think people forget, I mean, some of us are not. Um, uh, super extroverts who just need to be around, you know, 200 people at a time grabbing attention. Those well, I hope you at least had a piece of cake. I'm going to have to probably make my own. Uh, <laughs> my dietary limitations make it relatively challenging for me to oh, right. comforts in life. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, it does keep my waistline down. <laughs> well, happy belated birthday, nonetheless. <laughs> no, thank you very much, Joe. Um, since we last talked, there was a huge August Moon Festival in Quincy. Yes, I was at August Moon Festival uh, this Sunday um, with my team at the table. And uh, you can see some of the pictures of us on social media. You know, I passed about 32, 3,300 Tacky Chan fans, which has now become a mainstay of every August Moon. And about 500 so at Jarbiters and also passed us some ice pops. So. Uh, wonderful weather. Couldn't ask for better weather for August. Not too humid, not too dry, bright sun, but not stifling sun. So it was hot, but it, it was bearable. And you can see I got a bit more color out of one day. My uh, 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 August moon tan, I guess. Is <laughs> but you're right. I mean, with the way these weekends have been going, it was it was sketchy right up to the last minute, but it was just picture perfect. Yeah, I've been affiliated with this uh, event in one form or another for well past 25 years. And there's only been one time it was canceled. Actually, I wasn't in country that year because it was a tropical storm came through. The issue wasn't the rain. Concern issue was the wind. Once winds mm -hmm. get past close to, once winds close in at 15 miles per hour, your tents don't stay down. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that year, I think it was 2003, because I remember it was in, my, in uh, Hong Kong. It was one of those odd summer trips I did because of grandma's birthday. She was turning 80. So she demanded a big party in 2003. And uh, we all had it. We all had to go. It was not uh, optional. Yes, that's the point. When, when grandma speaks, people listen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. So, so. You know, we, uh, you know, that was the year I wasn't in attendance. That was a Cayman marketplace, if I remember correctly, in 03. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were sitting, you know, the Saturday before the, the day or Friday before, trying to figure out, you know, what the weather projection was and whether we take a risk. Other times we've missed rain. I mean, I, I set up tents my younger days, the day after it rained and, you know, evaporated by 10 a.m. It was just so hot. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the 36th annual this year, I think. So that's quite a record. 
Yeah, it started on a little history, the Walls of Luther Church parking lot. They're the ones who opened this thing up. And then uh, it went to North Quincy High with uh, Bay State Community Services in Pat Quincy. And then, you know, I took it over with Quincy Asian Resource. Uh, it was that time with the Quincy Asian American Association, the QAAA. And uh, we migrated from Quincy, North Quincy High to Billings Road. And then from there, we popped over to North Quincy and Tay lot. Then we you know, we had a couple of quick stints at Bishop Fields uh, when we tried to do this in September. That that wasn't a great idea. Then we bounced back to the MBT a lot in North Quincy yeah. and uh, found out ways to come in Marketplace, then to uh, Quincy Center, you know, take over Hancock Street, and then, you know, bounce from there um, to uh, the current location in front of Coddington at the high school, and which is probably the best locale of this, this scale event. Yeah, I think so. It's it's most conducive to being able to just kind of coordinate off um, and just, you know, have it safe and plenty of room for everybody. Yeah, the logistics work best because it's been cornered off before for Flag Day. Mm -hmm. so traffic reconfiguration is not novel. People have dealt with this before. Uh, the sufficient parking in the geographic zone, you can park in closer to downtown and walk over, which is only like 10 minutes. And uh, you have MBTA ability, MBTA obviously, despite the MBTA, you do have bus and, and train access. And, um, you know, living in the Marymount area or even Quincy Center area, it's still a walkable uh, type of mm -hmm. event. And uh, you got the Quincy High parking, you got the parking at YMCA, um, and, uh, you know, try to minimize uh, impact on the neighbors as best possible. And of course, you no know, great job with the city. I mean, you need the Parks Department, you need the Quincy DBW, you need Bruce to Amber service, you need a Quincy uh, Police Department, um, you know, all on hand. Uh, we never had a major incident. We had, we had another, it looks like we had another person get heat stroke, which is not uncommon, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, the, you know, bought Quincy Fire, bought Bruce Ambulance, so Quincy Police, so all on hand. And, and uh, you know, again, DPW and the Parks Department, you know, helping um, to set up and helping to bring down. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad it worked out. So again, if folks should look uh, for some of the uh, video and pictures here on QATV in the not too distant future, we'll have it on TV and on our website as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, market calendars will be around the same time next year on the third week of August on the Sunday, uh, and it uh, is the probably going to be the, the largest single event of this type in the South Shore. Yeah, twenty thousand plus people. I understand, so that's pretty significant for sure. Yeah. The, a low water festival run by the Cambodian community draws probably, I won't say quite twice as much, but probably near twice as much as, as we do. Uh, wow. in um, it's a river event. If you ever get up to low, they only went one time. It is a bit of a, it's a bit of a challenge to get in, um, but it is a very remarkable, very large event. And we also some other events in the city, we had in between a band event uh, that mm. was going through. Um, so there was a lot of activities. Um, this past weekend and um, you know it's you know it's not a bad day to spend in August and uh, I, I did the attendance also kind of reflects that how many people are traveling in August um, it, I, I, it's always waned because of anyone's vacation and not vacation obviously the COVID year was a little odd the attendance was a little strange in terms of people just they just need to get out of like state um, in the month of August so you know, next big event coming up be uh, Lunar New Year sometime in maybe February. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll go, we'll, the routine goes back to the annual dinner in May. So, but for me, this is the kickoff of event season in Quincy. Chowderfest will be the second Saturday. Um, 
in uh, September. And unfortunately, I actually have to go to our celebration of life that day. One of my friends' mom passed. So I'm going to have to go uh, out of town. Uh, well, I'm going to have to go to Worcester, actually, uh, for that celebration and then make my way to Chowderfest. So if you're wondering where I am on Chowderfest, not being the beginning, that's where I am before I go to Chowderfest and say hello. Okay. Um, <laughs> quite a quite a stark difference between the two events. <laughs> people sometimes forget. I mean, I can't get to every event, but it isn't because I'm not someplace else doing something else too. Right, right. Uh, but uh, have it been, has been quiet uh, uh, in your other role as, as state rep. It's been very quiet. I mean, as uh, we talked about, we're informal sessions. Uh, there is going to be no major pieces of legislation moving. Uh, the committee staff. In my case, has been working to kind of you know, prepare the fall schedule. We're going to have at least two public hearings, late September, early October. We're finalizing the dates, getting the hearing rooms, and we may have to do one in late November or maybe again in mid-January. We're also watching for ballot questions. I really don't care about ballot questions until they actually get the number of signatures. I don't care that they fired 42, 42 ballot initiative requests until you get those signatures, and I'm really not interested in it. And how many actually hit my committee, I do not know yet until uh, those signatures are gathered. So I'm not going to worry about it right now. Uh, we need to, well, we don't, well, need is a strong word, but I mean, we, the House Chair's preference is to try to move out some, uh, again, we talk about a lot, in fact, I do a lot of technical bills, and I'd like to get another set of technical bills on the executive session, you know, this fall. Um, you all know about the conflict between the two branches, um, leadership teams uh, on personality and has somewhat um, gummed up a little bit the, the co-chair's ability to move forward on, on getting bills out of executive session. Um, I, again, like public executive sessions, contrary to what newspapers say, last year, I'm the only chair, I promise you, the only chair, where my co-chair, Dan Sumaran, to have all our executive sessions virtual, uh, visible. Uh, and you saw that on my Facebook live stream before they won't let me do Facebook live stream now. Uh, and we only did a small number by uh, electronic polling um, through because there were home petitions that that, that we had to rush out. Uh, but you know, I I still believe that you know we get paid to show up at minimum, and should at least you know show up, especially the convenience of virtual format. Um, I find very little excuse uh, for people uh, membership not to be able to at least pop in and pop out at least to get these executive session votes in. Everybody has an electronic device of some sort today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very we we I'm very flexible. As long as this session is open or during the process of a public hearing, you know we will uh, you know confirm identity somehow uh, and you know, record the members' vote in the committee. Um, it, it, this is very different from my early days in this gig, where the only in-person executive sessions, whether people show up or not, uh, many things were done by voice vote back then. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, some along the way, when email was created. Um, particularly in the last decade, uh, the desire to vote by email, uh, by, particularly by Senate members, um, you know, you got to show for work. Mm. I mean, I'm not being critical or, or I'm not beating them up. But well, it's, I mean, literally, they were mailing it in, the old the old adage, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the expectation here, at least. And, uh, you know, I know John Keenan shows up. I know Walter Timothy shows up. Walter shows up at everything, as we know. Uh, those who know Walter Timothy. Um, and with good attendance, you know, my former coach, Jesse Moran, you know, strong effort to make appearances and as well as, you know, uh, Senator Kennedy from, from Lowell. So, 
my, unfortunately, we have a lot of good attendance by senators, but you know, all it takes is a couple of senators who are like, you know, I don't want to show up. We just do an email poll and itself becomes a, you know, how much do you want to accommodate someone or do you want to just say, you know, you know, you know, you're not running this committee. I am. So you can decide if you want to actually cast your vote. Right. Right. And again, this is the Senate chair's problem. I mean, the Senate chair has to work with Senate membership. I'm in charge of doing the House membership. Right. Right. Speaking of ballot questions, uh, an update to the uh, right to repair law that passed, what, three years ago now? Yeah, I mean, the judge is still making this out. Judge Woodlock, I believe, is the judge at the federal level. We still haven't had a final ruling. Uh, every time you follow this court drama, uh, there's always a new crinkle that keeps making an appearance that causes more confusion. Technology-based stuff in courts are very difficult because you actually have to understand the tech to understand what you're trying to rule on because there's really no precedent. For example, you can't apply... Uh, a simple uh, fishing rod patent the same way you apply a software patent. It's, it's two different issues in terms of you know, what it is versus um, the law itself. And you understand that tech, tech, the law becomes a little bit easier, but even then it's not that clear. Um, and the courts don't understand, I have to be honest. It's, I struggle with still with tech stuff uh, in the committee chair levels and trying to do things like data privacy for the third time in my life. Uh, and the technology changed really quickly in, in under five years again. So we're always trying to play tech up, uh, catch up on tech education. So the National Highway Safety Transportation Board, whatever, NAHTA. Administration, um, I think, yeah. Administration, yeah. They, they've uh, sent an updated letter because initially they said that everything was preempted by federal law. They sent an update saying it's, it's not preempted. It was a short-range device. Yeah. Translation, it doesn't cross state lines. It's not such a commerce clause. Oh, okay. Now, the initial uh, right to repair folks wanted to have your telemetrics wirelessly transmitted directly to a repair shop. This is the part they don't tell you about. So as you're driving your car, it will continuously stream information to the repair shops and back to your car. There's some distances they can't do that. So either they can fill your computer advertising, potentially steal data from your car, or potentially... Uh, you know, actually sabotage your car if, they, if some wrong virus or code gets inputted into your operating system by accident or by deliberate. And uh, this is a legit security risk, not just for consumers, but also intellectual property and national security as well, because any bad thing can happen in a car causes chaos onto all of us. Mm. So it becomes a safety issue, highway safety issue, which is what the federal jurisdiction is. Now, the ruling they have is quote unquote short wave devices, um, which mo most likely means Bluetooth. My understanding is that while cars do indeed have Bluetooth, your phone is hooked up to the car through Bluetooth. You know, there you could, in theory, expand the Bluetooth technology to include repair centers. So suppose I have to flip over your hood and plug in the relative cables to your computer system. You could have a Bluetooth device compared to your car, and then you'll transmit the data via Bluetooth. The current statute for repair already allows for it because it does address future technology and diagnostics. You don't really need this ballot question because the current law gives equal access to all third parties for no, of all diagnostic ability. Oh. So the Bluetooth's sole purpose is just to transmit, similar to wire-based diagnostic tech and nothing else. The current law already covers it. Okay. So it's a redundant, it's a redundant initiative, it sounds like. Well, there's an alternative motive. I mean, th this is why this is such a complicated issue. It, 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 it was a uh, ballot question by brand name, not a ballot question by substance. And again, the frustration always with ballot questions is that it requires the voters to actually read the entire law 
understand what the law means and what its potential impacts, not just today, but also tomorrow, not on just for themselves, but also everyone that's around you. Ballot questions, people tend to think on their personally, they tend to think that because that's your instinct. They don't really think about the bigger picture. Well, legislators, the nature of our policymaking requires us to think not just about one person, we have to think about everyone. Right, but this was approved by the Attorney General's office for constitutionality, at least. Well, state constitutionality, that doesn't mean yeah. correct on the federal constitutionality. Oh, okay, all right. That, that, that's, that's the crinkle. The ballot questions generally are a state constitutional issue, not a federal constitutional issue. Gotcha. Okay. So that's why the feds told told the state to ignore it. <laughs> yeah. And then it also is the committee's purview to determine constitutionality as well. While mm-hmm. I'm not a final court of opinion, I mean, a court of jurisdiction, just a court of opinion, I suppose. Uh, you know, I do kind of do my homework, folks, as you guys mm-hmm. kind of hold over time here. And am I always right? Of course not. I'm always right uh, because I'm going to get it wrong. But it isn't from the lack of trying to learn it. Um, and sometimes the conclusion may be incorrect, or I get bad information, which also happens as well, but isn't from the lack of learning it. It takes a lot of time, uh, a, much a lot of time. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Do I have to intervene on this issue because it's under my jurisdiction? I'm kind of waiting it out still because the federal court still has jurisdiction of the matter. Okay. And, uh, you know, I could, you know, tweak the current uh, ballot question law again. Well, actually not again, I haven't touched it yet. But, you know, we're discussing whether we should touch it. And the answer was no, because it goes to the Fed. So, again, it's not the correct word here. Um, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, you know, I always could just follow the federal recommendation and really just narrow it down. Again, the conflict I have is the fact that current statute already addresses the issue. Hmm. Okay. So, in, in essence, it's already it's already happening. That's correct. If sometime down the road and, you know, whenever, you know, there's a wireless Bluetooth secure system of one-way transmission, you know, regarding diagnostic data, all repair shops have to have access to the same thing as they currently do regarding a wired system connecting it to your computer and your car. Okay. So, yeah. So, right now I can bring my car anywhere I want. Like if they have the capability, the machines they, they have to pay for, right, they can plug in and get the data they need. You're right. They have to pay for it. They pay for their own training and mm-hmm. uh, no, a car... A manufacturer uh, can deny any repair shop the ability to purchase or uh, subscribe to the training services. Okay. So we will. It's it's in limbo. We'll say. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Like I say, you can see the kind of quirky legal issues um, that I'm trying to navigate through this one, and you know, I've been on pins and needles for eight years, waiting, waiting for the Fed court to actually do something. So. Welcome to a part of my job that involves just kind of like waiting it out. Waiting. <laughs> okay. Uh, one thing we don't have to wait for, um, uh, in-state uh, tuition and state financial aid for undocumented uh, high school students. Yeah, this has been a long conversation. I remind folks, I remember doing this back with Michael Morrissey. So that would have been back in like 05, 4, 5, 6, that time frame, when it was initially submitted as a budget amendment and no one could figure out what it was trying to do. On the surface, it seemed to make some sense, but you know, it, you know, it got really weird. Remember, Sal to Macy put this thing down for a vote, and it, you know, it was rejected by the members. It was, mm-hmm. it was almost intentional by by Speaker DeMacy at the time. So this thing has been constantly, constantly being tweaked. It isn't the version you've seen, you know, 15, 16 years ago. It's completely different from what it originally was. So what requires that if you're undocumented uh, student, you have to complete three years of education in Massachusetts. 
you have to actually sign a day affidavit stating that you are actively pursuing citizenship. Okay. It means your application has to be in and you actually have to make progress on this. And then if you uh, satisfy the goals and demonstrate you're continually trying to achieve citizenship, you know, you can apply for in-state tuition as like every resident in Massachusetts uh, to go to any of the UMass system schools. So, you know, it does require, require a residency requirement, a minimum educational requirement, because you need also need to get your high school degree. You just can't go three years here and not get your high school degree. I see. Okay. And you also need your um, you know, active pursuance. And oddly, this actually knocks out some people when you think about it, because three three years high, high school education, minimum, in a school in Massachusetts, you know, you have to uh, be here for three years. And some folks arrive and only do like junior and senior year. Some folks only get through the first two years and move out of state or some other circumstances happen. Uh, if regular residents, uh, I'm sorry, that's not the right word, uh, residents in general that are not uh, in a undocumented status, you know, uh, doesn't have those requirements. You could bounce around to four different schools. You can get your GED. You could um, leave. You could go to school um, in New Hampshire for three years and you finish your fourth year in Massachusetts, or you can be a Massachusetts resident in Massachusetts, but you go to a private school in New Hampshire. You know, for example, you can qualify in state tuition because you're a resident of Massachusetts. There is not these additional requirements to demonstrate that you actually were in a uh, Massachusetts school completion. Being three different high schools out of state, as long as you have Massachusetts residency, you qualify for in-state tuition. I so this, it's a lot uh, simpler, uh, and I think people undervalue the, the difficulty barriers that have been created here for undocumented to access in-state tuition. Uh, this is going to be unfortunate. We get emails about um, undocumented being unfairly treated coming to me uh, once they try to utilize this when they realize they can't meet meet all the check boxes. Same things already started with. The undocumented driver's license issues are beginning emails about the unf unfairness of requiring uh, driving school, unfairness of um, you know the, the the barriers that have been created regarding uh, proper identification, uh, meaning you need to show um, a, pa a valid passport or a consular document confirming your ident identity. Um, so I'm already getting some emails like oh, this is unfair to us. Hmm. Surprising, it's it's kind of nature of my job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's actually a small amount of students, according to the Mass Taxpayers Foundation, that would help about 350 students a year. So not not a huge amount. No, I mean, let's say uh, we do have a lot of refugees coming in. You have a teenage teenager refugee. Um, you know, let's just create a hypothetical. The person has adequate English, comes in, uh, discovers that he had a uh, she had or he had a, a high school education prior to Coming here that is not dissimilar to what we have here in Massachusetts, be able to put them in right into junior year of high school because of the age, and seems to be able to you know be able to meet all the prerequisites. Uh, that individual will be unable to um, receive in-state tuition if if the person is undocumented, and um, you can have refugee situations where the individual uh, is undocumented because they applied for asylum after they arrived in the U.S. undocumented. You still can apply for asylum. And it's up to the immigration courts to decide if you're qualified for asylum and you become yep. a refugee. So it is a bit of a moving target. And I remind folks, and I'll give you my favorite example is the Falun Gong folks uh, from China. I mean, they're persecuted in China. A lot of them come to the U.S. They're not recognized as a per per uh, persecuted religious group, but all of them apply for political asylum because they return to China. They will be jailed and potentially, uh, potentially killed 
uh, for practicing a belief system. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm undocumented to come here and, you know, apply for political asylum and hope that the judge um, considers that their uh, belief system is sufficient to uh, cause uh, political persecution with uh, imprisonment and potentially death. That must be a fascinating part of the law to experience every day. Uh, that, that would be an interesting documentary, I think, uh, to actually to sit in on some of those hearings and hear these people's stories. Absolutely. I mean, the, the um, immigration courts is still backlogged during the Trump administration. The, the immigration courts were very understaffed. Um, the Biden administration is still playing catch. I respect if Biden gets a second term. You know, I think this problem will continue. It's it's trying to beef up uh, the court system as much as possible to try to do an expedited component. And also, I mean, there's also problems. For example, I've heard from folks that, you know, actually made it through the court system, were denied uh, ability to stay in the U.S., but there was no recourse about what to next. They kind of like left in limbo. Hmm. And the federal government doesn't provide you, uh, if you've been denied uh, the ability to stay in the U.S., what do you do next? Right. How do you go back to a potentially dangerous situation? Do you try to cross in the border of Canada? Do you go back to Mexico? Like, what do you do? And this was actually a conversation I had with this person. They were like, they were like at lost. Uh, they just kind of like walked out of the courthouse and like paid the lawyer. And it was kind of like, yeah, no. yeah. literally a uh, person without a country. Yeah. And they almost hoped that the, that, you know, still some program to like at least get them to like, somewhere uh and you know move on to wherever they gotta go next right but, um yeah there's a lot of failures in, in the system i think people don't realize unless you have personal experience uh, in the system and you know you talk to some folks about what their experience was like and you're, you're rather it's rather jarring uh on the immigration level at how poor um and inefficient they are regarding these reveals and uh, time is money uh, you know if you get an attorney this is expensive and then um, and then if you lose, what happens? And uh, there's no real mechanism, as I talk to folks, uh, like to do something about it. I mean, no one says, well, you got to leave. Go here. Right, right. It's just got to leave, period. Up to you. You don't, you don't know what to do next. Right, right. Well, I mean, of course, here in Massachusetts now we have two welcome centers for migrants. But is that a, is that a different person than folks, the folks that are seeking um you know, refuge, refuge. Yeah, the migrant center is a little bit. I mean, I like how we keep changing names to different things. Right now, we call it a migrant site. That's like a term that I've never used in my life until now. Mm. But uh, you know, these folks are basically subject to the federal government. The federal government decides where they go, and the state government, you know, through Office of Refugees and Immigrants, you know, helps coordinate these issues. And uh, you know, the feds are trying to find, um, you know, temporary housing. Uh, and then try to figure out what to do next all over the country. And as I remind folks, Quincy and Massachusetts has long been a refugee destination. You know, Cambodians, Vietnamese, Haitians, Nepalese, uh, Afghans, uh, um, uh, we, we, uh, most recently Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. um, so this is unusual What you know, to have that. I mean, people who were up here in the 80s into early 90s, I mean, you know, 40,000 Southeast Asians, you know, showed up in a decade. Wow. Right? I mean, the large Vietnamese population, predominantly refugees, they're, you know, the federal government decides where you get to go and uh, what happens next to you. And then, you know, Cambodians also came in a ginormous wave uh, back then. So this isn't new. 
people always act like it's new. It's, it's not. Uh, if the issue here, and I agree with the, uh, the mayor uh, and the rest of the delegation, and even the, even with the governor on this, it's just a lack of communication between the federal government and the rest of us. It isn't like we don't want to be helpful, but it's hard to be helpful. You don't know what's going on because we have to prepare for people that we want to be able to help. And uh, the ENC engaged in a private contract. East Nazarene College had a private contract with the federal government regarding uh, housing migrants temporarily. And we discussed before, these apartments have been there for like a long time. I mean, they've always had families come and go out of there. Um, so, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, that's true. Um, you know, I've talked to immigration refugee you know, support agencies. There's a few, a small number of ones designated by the federal government and, uh, their number one challenge is housing and immediate transition into workforce. Um, you know, that's, that's the desire find them some, some transitional situation in housing and find workforce for them as quickly as possible. So, you know, jobs, jobs are good as we know. But it also means you have to get a social security number. You have to be, you know, part of the IRS. You know, it's it's a little bit different. You have to get a work permit. You have to immigration give you okay for a work permit, you know, through a social security system and so forth. So, you know, they're not for profits who's in charge of doing that. We had talked to them about this when the Afghan situation came up last year, you know, and they explained this is really complex and walked me through it. And it's not easy. But same time though, you know, like credit based community services and you know, Manic Community Health Center and many other folks that were able to mobilize quickly, uh, particularly in the health screening. I'm very concerned about health screenings because uh, this is a, one of the highest tuberculosis rate states, uh, cities in the, in the state. We're a very high TB area. Uh, we all know about the measles situation. It's happened more than once here uh, locally. Um, so, I mean, vaccination uh, regarding things that we don't vaccinate as much on the younger generation, uh, you know, is, is critically important. But also, it's a little confusing, like how long you're going to be here. My understanding is that it's transitional. Right. Uh, you'll be coming and going um, as they're processed, and uh, some will stay here and some will not, it sounds like. So I'll be making a visit over to the Welcome Center at some point. Uh, it's been, even though it's August and I did get some time off, it has been still busy as I'm kind of juggling a lot of things at once. Sure, sure. Um, can we talk a little bit, Jackie, about. Um a new way that the state will be um, kind of taking the census of folks based on their ethnic backgrounds. Yeah, this is the so-called data disaggregation issue, which we renamed data equity um, some years back, which, which is actually more accurate putting it. And uh, <laughs> those may remember those old Patriot Ledger articles, me facing down certain parts of the Chinese population regarding this issue. And, their opposition to to this bill, and this is actually a national movement by uh, national uh, nationally on state legislators, especially with uh, the Asian American Pacific Island Caucus, who's leading a lot of these issues in many states. So the idea is that we're not a monolith where where uh, everybody is not the same. Okay, that that's pretty straightforward, and that if we want to have our state services. Uh, and better understanding of what we look like, the information we collect from the population has to, ref has, has to reflect our understanding of it. So using Asian Americans as the example, you know, about one third of Asian Americans are Chinese. And Chinese tend to be better social mobility as a whole versus um, a group such as the, um, such as the um, uh, Hmong, uh, the Hmong in the Fitchburg Gardner area. Uh, where there's much, much, much smaller group 
Um, but because the Chinese does much better as a part of the Asian demographic, uh, the issues of the Hmong community vanish because the data set doesn't reflect them specifically. But once they you, just get lumped in with all the rest. And they vanish. I see. They vanish. So this is happening in the, the Black African-American community as well, where you know that it's not a um, what we call historical Black folks that lived here, African-Americans that lived here multiple generations. You have this large immigrant community from places like, uh, we talk about Haiti, right? You know, we also have African-Hispanics from places like Dominican Republic, uh, the people here from Nigeria, you know, South Africa, and they're not all the same. They didn't come from the same social economic backgrounds. They don't come from the same situations. And even, even on medical issues, uh, because of different geographic areas they're from, they have different medical needs. Mm-hmm. So as the, if the state is doing a survey of any form, we want this information disaggregated where people give the option of them to be able to fill the form to reflect their ethnicity or multi-ethnicity, you know, similar to the U.S. Census. And then uh, we can collect that data and then, you know, get an idea of what their reflection looks like for those uh, human services or healthcare issues or workforce issues or safety issues and so forth and so forth. So we have a better reflection of what the state is. And it gives the future advocates and future academics the ability to conduct better studies about whether or not the state's doing a good job in providing services to just the ones that actually need services. Okay, that's. I think it's a key point you mentioned. It's it's voluntary. It's not mandatory. It is voluntary. We can't deny you services for non-participation. Um, you know, all the privacy laws regarding public records are in place. People don't realize public records. Public record laws is the privacy law for us individuals. So, you're like your social security number is under under the public records law, uh, aka privacy as well. Uh, it, it, that's what public records are about. Not just what you let into public, but also what you don't let into public. Right, because that was one of the big concerns. Right, was 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 privacy and 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 being able to keep your information private. Yeah, we reinforced that uh, that issue in in new law. Uh, we we always believed it was already covered in the current law because the public records law is a blanket cover everything anyway. But we just reinforced that, and uh, you know, you make it clear the information can't be transmitted as individual data sets. You can't get tacky chance specifically what he's been doing. Uh, you know, whatever data set, well, let's say just healthcare, for example, regarding my individual healthcare data, uh, you know, regarding, uh, let's say, health, health, uh, mass health, let's say get to age. If I ever make it to the age as a senior citizen that qualifies for mass health, which I often joke will question if I actually get that far, um, you know, there may be some health data issues that you may want to know as, as mass health regarding different racial makeups, yep. what the needs are. And you won't know tacky chance specific ones, but you may have a general Chinese. Uh, understanding and you can break it down by zip codes for example oh okay so you could say you know chinese you know in quincy that's you know that are surveyed um you know have this needs and compared to let's say a chinese population in brooklyn oh interesting okay yeah we can compare it to an indian population in lexington for example Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know it's it's it gives a lot of ability for academics and also the government to try to figure out what works and what doesn't and uh you know, you've heard my Muse on Wheels analogy where, you know, our senior population, which back to the uh, certified nursing assistant exams, uh, you know, uh, are becoming largely immigrant groups that have um, little moderate English. Uh, and uh, you should, you know, provide culturally competent food to ensure that they actually eat their meals uh, because nutrition, you know, is crucial. Uh, but if you serve foods that they're not going to eat, uh, it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. 
and it has adverse effect health on our senior citizens. But you don't have demographic data what that senior population looks like. It's very hard for me to make an argument uh, to uh, the, any administration that need to change how to do things, much less any service agency mm-hmm. to change a few things. And also hard for me to craft policy, whether it be appropriate money in the budget or writing a new law, you know, about this evidence. So like you say, you can't rely on tacky stories to create public policy. I mean, I get by a bit on, you know, life experience to try to help frame uh, public ar- public policy arguments with the administration and my colleagues. But you can't rely on that in the long term. And uh, I don't want to die in my seat. Like, I'm hit that age now. It's kind of like I got to figure out where my next move in life is down the road. It won't be next term. Trust me, I'll be here for another term. But, you know, sometimes I got to think about that too. And, um, you know, and we'll always be here to help advocate for those causes. And uh, hopefully future generations will. It was, I mean, you can't change something if you don't if you don't know about it. That's correct. I mean, it's hard to operate in a vacuum. Um, actually, we did that through COVID, right? Mm. <laughs> it was a classic example of government public policy all over the place because we're operating in a vacuum. Well, it's, yeah, they just threw money at everything and hoped that some of it stuck, basically. Yeah, it was just insane. I mean, just uh, we're working in a vacuum of information without sufficient time. And uh, in a crisis situation where we're seeing the real effects now, as opposed to, um, you know, bite sides effects. I mean, it was a global effect. So obviously none of us want to live through that second time. But, you know, that's a classic example of new information must make decisions now right. and hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. But not easy. Not easy to do in the legislature. Um, no, especially uh, in such a short period of time. <laughs> Let's do, we you know sometimes we always talk about the um, economy and I know Fed, Feds are are going to be meeting soon this week actually it'd be interesting to see what happens uh, with interest rates. Yeah, they're in Jackson Hole I think uh, near this week and is that Colorado? I think so. Yep. Yeah, and or, uh, uh, Wyoming. Excuse me, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah, they're Wyoming, and they're um, you know there's no rate hike in August. There's a projection perhaps to do another quarter point in September. Or October, or whether or not there's a third hike. The markets, as you probably, if you look at the markets and Joe tells you about the market every morning, uh, it's all over the board. It's crazy. Everything's like everywhere at once, so to speak. And no, there's no consistency regarding investment. Uh, and you probably all see your 401k or 457s or 403bs or Roth IRAs, IRAs. You probably all experience the same as I have. And the bond market's nutty because you know you're getting you know Treasury bonds for six months at close to five and a half percent. They exceed CDs. CDs are still floating, you know, right at five, five and a quarter, but they're they're not keeping up with bonds. And bonds are, by the way, it's uh, uh, federal U.S. Treasuries are state tax free, which also makes them attractive. But even a long 10-year bond and two-year bonds, I mean, the inverse is to happen. Generally, you're supposed to have higher interest rate the longer you go and shorter interest, uh, lower interest rate the shorter you go. I'm sorry, other way around. The long, you have a lower, yeah, you want- You had it right the first time, I think. Yeah, the first time, right the first time. Yeah. So, you know, right, it's still, you know, almost between 0.8 and 1% differential between yeah. the two-year and 10-year, which generally signals recession, but the consumer is still money spending like crazy, but the consumer confidence levels down. I know. It's very crazy when consumer confidence is down because I am the consumer protection chair. Generally, people don't spend money when the consumer confidence is down, but they're still spending money. And you got an impending strike with the with the car companies. Yes, 
which uh, is represents about 10% ish, give or take of the total US workforce, not just the car manufacturing themselves, but the secondary business impacts, meaning all the parts, the dealers, the repair shops, the gas stations, I mean, it, it, the electrics charging people, you know, all that is impacted uh, by the car industry, the car industry shuts down, it has about 10% ish impact in the total employment of the, of the country. Um, and you know that that's causing uh, fear and chaos. And the UPS guys, you know, not surprised, had to give them what they wanted to the union. So they had to increase, increase, uh, which will increase your UPS prices. And of course, we still have that thing called the SAG after writer strike, yeah. uh, which is going to cost probably California somewhere between five and ten billion dollars economic development if it goes into the fall. And has as for movie theaters already badly impacted already. And streaming services are really badly impacted already. They're all bleeding money. Streaming services, if you're not Netflix, they're all bleeding money. Uh, and the theaters are in huge struggles still. So the writers in the SAG after strike is, is going to have enormous economic impacts you know, through through the country. And that's just the, the big ones. So, you know, people still paying for services. You know, they're still eating in restaurants, as far as I can tell. They're still going on travel, still going on trips, doing long weekends to the Cape or wherever. Um, but they're not buying big TVs. Delinquency on car loans have gone up, and they're going up quick. St uh, student loan uh, suspension of student loan repayment ends in October. Right. And the Biden administration do, we're going to be doing backflips to try to get people more time or do a loan restructuring to help them so they don't go buried too deep into it. And, um, you know, people are still buying homes nationally at, at an interest rate of almost 7%. I know. Yeah, it, it does. You're right. It's wacky. It doesn't make any sense. I I think people are incurring more credit card debt uh, rather than just spending. Yeah, I think it's closing up to about a trillion dollars now of credit card debt nationwide. Yeah. I think it's just about there. I'm not sure if it crossed it yet, but you know, it was during um, after Christmas going into like May and June. It was it was steadfastly rising towards that thousand thousand uh, sorry trillion dollar total consumer credit card debt number. And uh, that that was uh, that was clearly uh, a bad indicator because it's a lagging effect. So a lot of stuff you see on interest rates lag. It's not like you know the interest rate up tomorrow morning and then you're gonna go buy yourself a house. You know, uh, you know pay raise, you know pay increases also going up, and actually that's now slowed down too a little bit when people aren't moving around on jobs, and layoffs still tend to be at a high end wage level. It isn't a main street layoffs yet, but the majority of layoffs tend to be in the higher income brackets um tech company financial services and so forth and that's going to continue i think as they kind of like condense and um you know there's a lot of concern about the banking industry uh, whether or not they can keep up with these high interest rates so whatever general powell and you know the and the uh, fed board uh decides this weekend and what they say is going to have a huge impact about the the forecast of um the economy but the economy is very strong um, whether we can maintain the strength is a very good question because at some point, you know, student loan payments come up, credit card payments come up, house payment, car payment. Um, you still inflation on on basic goods is coming down, but not coming down fast. Gas has gone back up again. Uh, fuel prices, which means we have to get ready for for, for those of you who have their electric bill contracts coming out. If you have a non utility provider. Um, and there's also, you know, obviously utility is going to be going through the basic service process again soon and, uh, you know, put those bids out for uh, uh, electric prices this fall. Um, and, you know, we have also natural disasters, right? I mean, there's 
a lot of heat um, throughout the country. We've had two tropical storms make through the West Coast. Uh, I'm sure one West Coast, one's going to hit Texas. Um, and there's a potential, uh, actually a tropical storm, but it may miss us up here in the Northeast. But then we had like also like four tornadoes last weekend. And yes. Then, yes. Yeah. Those also, you know, small economic impacts locally and impact the revenue. So my projection is that next year, state capital gains continues to be terrible. I think the income tax will be somewhat steady because people's wages have increased so much in the past year. Um, they'll stabilize it. I think the meals tax would be good, but the sales tax won't be as good. Mm. Um, and I think car access tax is going to be challenged because people are probably not going to buy, buy a lot of new cars and things like alcohol and, and, uh, and the cigarette excess taxes will probably be stable. But I still think people also will play the lottery. The lottery had record sales again. And I, I don't see that not continuing to be a fairly stabilizing part of the state's revenue, even though the lottery numbers all go to cities and towns. I don't see a dime of that money that goes straight to cities and towns. So, right. you know, there's a lot There's a lot of moving parts as you can hear I'm kind of paying attention to. And again, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you you know, production, manufacturing production is down again. It was reported this morning. Housing purchases are up. Mortgage rates are the highest. Yep. Consumer confidence down, but spending is up. The yeah. project- it's not following, uh, you know, the, the standard format by any means. No, and corporate debt is, uh, I wouldn't say it's going up, but they're, re- they're trying to reevaluate your corporate debt. Um, and also uh, higher interest rates impact uh, cities and towns and state and federal government regarding uh, bonds. Right. So they're paying a higher bond rate, which can have an impact on your city budget and your tax dollars being spent more efficiently that you know goes to interest as opposed to being put directly into infrastructure. Right. Yeah. Stay tuned, as they say. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting uh, what, uh, what Jerome Powell says at Jackson um, Hole. Uh, this weekend, uh, uh, those short speeches uh, is largely dissected to try to figure out what he's saying or not saying, and uh, you know what the uh, what those you know what those impacts may be. It's it's like deciphering code. We're at the end of our hour again, Tacky. So quickly. Yeah, we are. Uh, it's you know, good times uh, move through quickly, and I hope uh, you all enjoy the Tacky Talk ish time that takes about uh, an hour or so. And, God, we've been doing this a long time. <laughs> but we look none the worse for wear. <laughs> for those of you who are not on the podcast and watching on YouTube, uh, you can all keep track of how old I look, it seems. A reader- time-lapse time uh, uh, video image of <laughs> show, show, show you from then to now. Well, mostly it's weight gain, weight loss, and uh, how much hair I have today. Or whether I actually comb my hair is the other mystery. So if you're listening here and you're like, what is he talking about? Well, go back to three or four videos and you can see exactly the hair question. Um, but we are still in the office. I mean, uh, the staff has doing a rotating vacation. So you know, obviously we did not empty out the office for vacation. The, the staff and us worked out, um, you know, a reasonable way to keep the office staffed where people stay would have time off. Sure. Uh, Small office, you know, we actually have to coordinate when you have a small office. So 617-722-2370, you know, bang a digit on the phone if if uh, no one picks up right away. Um, the uh, You have to wait a little while when you bang a number on the phone because Jerry Paracella controls the office and I'm the second name. I've already had calls about that. 
Tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-A-N at mahouse.gov. I am, uh, have a bit of a lull in email. I'm actually easier to find your emails right now. Uh, so <laughs> I'm quite happy about that, believe it or not. Um, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. You can see some pictures from the August Moon Festival of us, as well as at Tacky Chan Twitter. Um, you know, I get tagged on things. I don't get to choose what I get tagged on, so don't hold that against me. Uh, you got the malegislature.gov. If you want to find a bill, you don't need to call me. It's uh, available on the internet, malegislature.gov. I was going to watch all past committee public hearings, all recorded uh, and available on the internet as an archive. Um, and of course, you got tackychin.org, uh, which is our private sort of government website. <laughs> it's, I know it's weird, folks. I don't get to control my own website. Um that's controlled by the state. I have to make and pay for my own separate one, which we use as a resource page, mostly some some useful phone numbers and um, another way to other way for you to contact me as well. All right, good to talk to you, Tacky. I'm uh, glad we're back at it. We'll catch up next week. Yeah, we'll catch up next week, and uh, we'll discuss uh, life going into Labor Day. That's right. It's here already. All right. Thanks again. All right. Take care, Joe. <laughs>